I think it's a pretty good time for Thanksgiving, don't you? Yeah, yeah baby. It's Thanksgiving, Behind every good man is a... That's my better woman right there. We looked a lot different 22 years ago. But I tell you what, um, you know, 22 years takes a toll on you. But we got the same fire in us that we had when we were 33 years old. Now, I, hey, wait a minute. Y'all took, that was the wrong kind of fire. Y'all, y'all, y'all took, y'all made something. I was talking about for Jesus. But don't you be mistaken, we got that other fire, too. That's Miss Millie right there. That's Miss Millie. And the only person I spend more time with than Miss Millie is this next fella coming out, and he better be right there. Jim Gilligan better be coming around that corner right there. I'm going to have to get another person. I don't see him coming. There he is right there. I spend about as much time with him as I do Miss Millie. And I want to tell you something. Right there's the reason you're in this building today. Right there. That's the man. That's the man right there. That's the man. And that's the man, the little man. That's the big man. I love you, man. Love you, bro. Proud of you, buddy. Thank you. Jim Gilligan's our executive pastor, and uh, I got to tell you something. Pastors who've been through building projects are so jealous of me because they keep asking me questions all through this process. Other pastors, and I said, "Man, I don't know. Where'd y'all get that? I don't know. What y'all gonna have? A, I have no idea." Here's what Jim did through the whole process. Once in a while, he'd go over there to my office and go, come here. We'd walk over here and he'd go, do you like that? Yes, sir. Go back to the office. <laughs> I'm telling you, absolutely amazing Jim Gilligan. And he don't ever come on the stage, very rarely. You're going to see him in the hallways and in the foyer. And um, you're going to see him... Uh, busy and doing things, but you stop him and you thank him. We have an awesome executive pastor in this church, Jim Gilligan. Let me mention a few more people who are here today. You guys can uh, stand up if you want to, or you can just wave, or you can just not do anything. Well, I just want everybody to know you're here. The Jackson Builders team is here, and uh, Brian Howell, of course, is one of our board members. And uh, Brian is here, Barry Carnegie, a part of our church as well, and uh, the superintendent for Jackson Builders who was over this project, Jody Scarborough. Let's give all of those and all the, all the Jackson Builders, all of them who worked so hard. Matt, bad to the bone, Schwartz is here today from Unity Pro Lights and Sound. And his wife and family are with us in our services today. Let's give it up for Matt Schwartz and Unity Pro Lights and Sound. 
Can I ask you something? And if you don't like it, I really don't want to hear from you. The only people I want to hear from right now are the people who like it. Is this not the coolest decor in the foyer and all the, isn't that just awesome? I don't know, is Lisa in this service? Lisa Masteller, are you in this service? She might, where is she? Right there, Lisa. Stand up again, stand up again. Lisa is the one who made this place. She was our interior uh, designer, made this place so unique. And when, I don't know how you felt when you walked in, but I told her when we talked to her, I said, Lisa, I want a wow when people walk in here. Did she give us a wow? Up in here, you're awesome. Now I gotta uh, just do a little housekeeping here because it's that time of year. We are electing board members and if you would like to place a name into nomination, you need to go by the Connect Center today and pick up a nomination packet if you are a owner here at the bridge. Dinner with the staff is a week from today. Dinner with the staff, this is an excellent gathering for those who are new to the church and you just want to know more about the church, you want to know more about who we are, where we're going, what our vision is, uh, you want to know what we believe, you want some uh, private one-on-one -on -one time with some of the staff members, that's a great time to do that. Ask any questions that you might have. We're going to take care of you. We're going to feed you a delicious meal at no charge and we are going to take care of your children. I will go ahead and tell you that what we do with the children is throw some pizzas in a room, put them in there, and lock the door. <laughs> Usually works out all right. We've rarely had to call the rescue squad. Um, so if you're going to come to the dinner with the staff, you need to sign up today. Today's the last day to do that. On this Wednesday night, we are not having... Um, our regular classes on Wednesday night, our children's classes and youth classes. We are going to be having Hallelujah Night here this coming Wednesday night, and uh, that'll be from 6.30 to 8.30. We're going to have inflatables, and I know you're not going to believe this, but we're going to have hot dogs, and uh, we're going to have funnel cakes. Hey, right there's a reason to come, ain't it? And a hayride. So what I'm planning on doing is packing it in with the hot dogs and the funnel cakes, and then I'm gonna just get on the hayride and lay down, okay. Um, wild game night, wild game night. Let me, hear, let me hear my men out there. Got some men in the house? Yeah, baby. Guys, we want you to pick up your tickets. That is coming up November 9th. We're gonna have it in here. It's gonna be in here. So we got plenty of room to, uh, to bring all of our guests. What we hope you guys will do is buy enough tickets to fill up a table. Fill up a whole table and then go give those tickets away. Let's get men here who maybe are unchurched, do not know Christ. And uh, we got a great guest speaker who's going to be here. He's awesome, uh, has a wonderful ministry, uh, sportsman, uh, um, very well-known and very powerful ministry. And we've got posters out in the foyer. You can pick up and distribute those. So let's get the word out on Wild Game Night. You can go online and purchase your tickets. Now let me brag on you guys a little bit. First of all, let me brag on the Goldsboro campus. And I love the Goldsboro campus. How many Goldsboro campus people we got here today? Just being, all right, uh, hey man, that's the loud crowd. Um, the Goldsboro campus people gave in the offering fit for a king 
$27,794.98. Amen. Now that worship venue in Goldsboro only seats about 180 topped out. And so uh, this is a congregation of about 250 who gave almost $30,000. I think that's pretty good. Our total offering fit for a king that was given on the weekend of offering fit for a king, our goal was 150000 This campus, the Goldsboro campus together gave $174,282.28. So many numbers, I can't even say them right. Hallelujah. I'm so proud of y'all. I mean, I think about, we have built this building in a, uh, in a bad economy. We have uh, raised more money on one weekend than this church has ever in the history, in its history raised in the, in the time of a very uncertain future and an uncertain economy. But you guys didn't look at that. You looked at your God. And you said, he's the one who will make a way. And he wants to do it through me. We are so happy to have here with us today. I know you all think he's the bishop of some huge denomination. Terry Jordan, God bless you. Will you please stand, Terry? Wave at the congregation. Terry is the vice president of First Citizens Bank. And we love you, bro. And uh, I heard him when Pastor Andy was encouraging you to give him the offering. I heard Terry say, yes, Jesus, yes. <laughs> Bless you, Terry. So good to see you, brother. Thank you. We're honored that you would come today. We're so, we're so happy you're here. I think we have a vibrant song in this church. I think we have a great joy about us as a people in this church. I think one of the best and greatest attributes of this church is joy. I have the opportunity from time to time to go into other churches and preach and speak. I have the opportunity to go and share what God's done here and take my word for it. The joy that we enjoy in this house is not in every church that you go to. We have a vibrant song in this church. You know, one of the ways that we express thanksgiving, one of the ways that we let God know how thankful we are is in the time of trouble, our joy, our joy level stays high. See, when you're going through a valley, when you're going through a difficult time, when you're going through a hard time and God looks down from heaven and sees you still full of joy, that's worship to him. That's worship to him. Now, Richard was doing some worship today, and uh, I got to tell you, I, I thought maybe that bow tie was electric and somebody kept hitting the button. I, I wasn't real sure what was happening. And some of you may look at the way Richard worships and you enjoy it, but you say, I, you know, I don't worship like this. Do you know there's a lot of ways to worship? There's a lot of different ways to worship that are just as rich as the way Richard and I worship. When I start worshiping, I know some of y'all look over there sometimes, I'm coming up, you say, oh, he's coming up, he's coming up. You know, we're outward with our worship, and that's good, and that's fine, and I love that. 
But I tell you what God loves when he looks down and sees you going through a valley and your hands are lifted high. When he sees you going through the darkest hour of your soul and your joy is still there and is still solid. That's what God loves. That's a sweet smell in, in his, his nostrils. When you talk about joy, you're talking about a Christian song, his song. You know, we talk about uh, your song. Everybody's got a song in their heart. If you know Jesus, you have a song in your heart. And I know what you're thinking out there right now. You're thinking, Pastor, you have a song in your heart, and we want you to keep it right there in your heart. <laughs> now, when you get home and you're taking a shower and you're pretending that the shower head is a microphone, let it go, Pastor. <laughs> but when you get here, kind of keep it on the down low, keep it in your heart. I, I hear you. But I want to tell you that what we enjoy in this church, what we have in this church, the atmosphere that you're enjoying right now in this church, listen to me, we can lose it. We can lose it. We've got to guard. We've got to guard our song. We've got to guard our joy. So that's what the message is about today. The song of a Christian is an indicator of the spiritual health, the spiritual joy of that individual Christian. The song of a ministry. Maybe we've got ministry directors here today, or maybe we've got people who are visiting with us today on this special Sunday, and you are over a parachurch organization, like uh, Wayne Crisis Pregnancy Center, some ministry like that. I want to tell you that those ministries, individual ministries, ministries within the bridge like children's ministry and student ministry and call to arms ministry, there has to be a joy about those ministries. And I've seen ministries lose their joy. I've seen individual Christians lose their joy. I've seen churches who have had the joy we're enjoying right here this morning, but they lost it. What we want to talk about today is how it can be lost. What we want to talk about today is that what we enjoy is so fragile. What we're enjoying about this time together this morning. You know, one of the things I was concerned about is that when we came over here, you know, it would just be so different. We've got so much more space. We've got, you know... You know I don't know, it's just a dip, different atmosphere. And so I was a little bit worried that you'd be inhibited. I, I was a little bit worried that the same spirit we enjoy over there, it might take us a while to get it going over here. Can I tell you that I think we're going to be all right after the worship today? I mean, man, from the first song, from Pastor Jared reading that scripture and going into worship, God showed up. And I want to commend our prayer team. Prayer team, will you stand up and let us see you? Where's my prayer team? They came in here. Amen. They prayed us through a lot of battles. Prayed me through a lot of battles. And I love you girls and thank God for you. They came over here uh, and prayed throughout our building and ministered, uh, allowed the Lord to minister in our building long before we came. And I could tell it this morning. I could tell you all had been here. I thank you for that. It's so important. And after I sensed what we sensed in worship this morning, I know God is with us and God is pleased, but we've got to guard this. Do you hear me? We can't take this for granted. 
We can't just assume it's going to always be here. This wonderful atmosphere, this wonderful presence of God, again, it's very fragile. So what we're going to do, and we're not going to put it up on the screen yet, but turn to Psalm 137. You may have your Bible with you in some form. Um, so uh, if you'll turn in your Bible to Psalm 137. And in a minute, we will read the text. But I want to give you a little bit of background about this. You see, God had given to the ancient children of Israel three things. He had given them a land called the land of Canaan, the land of plenty. He had given them a law, and we read it in Exodus Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He had given them himself. He had given them a Lord. Listen to me. God had given the ancient people of Israel a land. He had given them a law, and he had given them a Lord. The Bible tells us that they defiled the land. They defied the law, and they denied the Lord. As a result of their turning away from God and going their own way, the Babylonian invaders came, Nebuchadnezzar. And the Babylonian invaders came and carried them away into a strange land. Took the children of Israel out of the land of promise, out of the land of Canaan, and took them to a land of bondage and captivity. Now you have to understand that the Israelites were known for their music. How many of y'all remember when we used to do the cross and the crown, the Easter drama? You know, I'd love that scene where there was music and dancing and it really uh, exemplified the uh, heart of the Jewish people, their music. They were known for their dancing, their singing, their celebration. Hey, here's what they were known for. They were known for their joy. So the Bible says in Psalm 137, 1 through 6, let's read it together. You'll see it up on the screens how do y'all like my little screen right here? Isn't this the coolest thing right here? So let's see. Look at that. Isn't that just the coolest thing? Man, what's it? This vest. I got to tell you, when I bought this vest, it did not have this hump in the front. I'm taking this back. By the rivers of Babylon. Listen, this is the children of Israel. They've been taken captive. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yay, everybody say it with me. We, we wept when we what? Remembered Zion or remembered Jerusalem or remembered the promised land. The Bible says in verse 2, we hung our harps, our musical instruments. We put them down. We hung them in the boughs and in the limbs of the willows in the midst thereof. Look at verse 3. For there, there in the land of captivity, those who had carried us away captive ask of us a song. And those who plundered us, the Babylonians, requested mirth, and that word means joy, they said, now we know about you, you Israelites. We know about you Jewish people. We know about, you're known for your music. You guys know how to throw down and what we want you to do. You've come, we brought you here to our land. And now we want you to have the same joy. And we want you to sing the same song. 
They said it right there at the end. Sing us one of the songs of Jerusalem. Sing us one of the songs of the promised land. But look how they responded in verse 4. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? They lost their song. They lost their joy. And we can lose our joy if we are not on guard, if we are not careful, if we are not observant of what is going on around us. Look what it says in verse 5. They said, Lord, or Jerusalem, which Jerusalem was a picture of God, a picture of salvation. They said, if I forget you. Oh, you ought to say this this morning. Everybody here ought to say this this morning. Lord, Lord, if I forget you, let my right hand forget its skill. Let me forget the skill that I have that makes a living for me and my family. If I forget you, let me forget that. Man, look at this next verse. Lord, if I do not remember you, let my tongue grow to. Let it cling to the roof of my mouth. So I can, if, I, if I'm not going to praise you, then why do I need speech? If I'm not going to praise you, then why do I need to say anything? Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. There are things that if you let it will take your joy away from you. How many of you like to read Max Lucado stuff? You like Max Lucado? Hey, have y'all looked in the resource center out there? Isn't that nice? I get 10% of everything that's sold out of there. <laughs> not really. Um, we've probably got books. I know we have books in there by Max Lucado. Let me tell you about Max Lucado real quick. Max Lucado feeds the mature Christian, and he also feeds the new Christian. He's one of those amazing writers that no matter who's reading it or where they are on their spiritual journey, it's a blessing. It helps them. But he tells the story of a bird named Chippy. And I want to read that story to you because I could never tell it the way he does in his books. So I'm going to read it to you. And I want you to think about how it's possible to lose our song. Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One moment he was peacefully perched in his cage. The next moment he was sucked in, washed up, and blown away. And the problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The moment she did, the phone rang, and she turned to pick it up. She had barely said hello when Chippy got sucked in. The bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum cleaner, opened the bag, and there was Chippy, alive, but stunned. Since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him up, raced to the bathroom, turned on the water faucet, and held Chippy under the running water. <laughs> then realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird lover would do. She grabbed her hair dryer and blasted her little pet with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. 
A few days after the trauma, a friend stopped by and said, How's Chippy? The owner said, Well, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. It's not hard to understand why, is it? Here's a poor little bird sucked in, washed up, blown away. That's enough to steal any parakeet song. Well, what I'm here to tell you today is that if you don't protect it, the enemy will steal your song. If you don't consider it serious, if you don't consider it precious, this song in your heart, this joy in your heart, it can be stolen, it can be taken. A Christian can lose their joy. A church can lose its joy. A ministry can lose its joy. You see, some have been taken away, captive, put into bondage, just like Israel was so long ago, not by the Babylonians, but by this world system we live in. By our own human desires. I've been put into bondage by the world system. I've given in to the world system before, and it put me immediately in bondage. I've given in to my own human desires before, and immediately I'm in bondage. I've given in to Satan before, and immediately my joy is gone. I've experienced it. Any of you who have been Christians very long have experienced it. There are some types in this story, some typology that I want to talk about. Babylon, in this story, represents the world with all, with all of its vanity and vexation and vileness. In this story that we're going to go through over the next few weeks, the people of God represent us, followers of Christ. The city of Jerusalem in this story, the holy city, represents salvation. It represents God. It represents the source of our joy. Babylon, the hellish city in this story, represents alienation from God in a strange land far away from the place of their song. Here, here's my question for you today. Do you have a song in your heart? Do you have joy in your heart today? Do you have a song in your heart? If you're a Christian, you should have a song in your heart right now. How many of you remember the old hymn we used to sing? Joy un and full of glory. God wants you to have that. There's no reason for you not to have that. As a matter of fact, Paul said we ought to be singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about four basic things the one I want to talk about today is this, the misery of a believer in bondage. The misery of a believer in bondage. Look what the scripture says. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we, come on, wept, we wept. Children of God had been taken captive. They were being held against their will in Babylon and they are on the banks of the river weeping. And one of the best ways to know whether you are a true child of God or not is this. Listen, if you're not having your prayer time, if you're not walking into intimacy with God, if you are not having communion with God, if you are not in the Word of God, if you are not practicing those spiritual disciplines in your life that keep you close to God and you have drifted away from God, there ought to be a misery about that if you're a true child of God. You say, well, I haven't prayed in months. 
I feel fine. Then I wonder, do you really know him? I think the church is guilty today of when a person comes to the altar and cries a few crocodile tears, we give them a big hug and tell them you're a child of God. When I wonder sometimes if a true conversion has actually happened. Y'all with me out there? Because my Bible tells me that when you get away from God, if you're a true child of God and you get away from God, there's going to be a misery about that. It's true about me. If you're a child of God, there's no way you can experience genuine joy if you've been taken captive by the world, by the flesh, your own flesh, and Satan. God's love, when you get away from him, listen to me carefully. When you get away from him, God's love won't let you enjoy God's love won't let you have that joy unspeakable and full of glory. Some people have said to me this. They've said, you know, the most miserable person in the world, the most miserable person in the world is a person who doesn't know the Lord. And I know that is miserable. I've been there too. I was saved when I was seven years old. I came out of a deep life of sin. But those of you who came to Christ later, you remember, the, you remember those years before Christ. Those were not your best years. But i got to tell you, I don't think the most miserable person in the world today is a person who doesn't know the Lord. Here's what I believe. I believe the most miserable person in the world today is a person who's tasted, who's tasted the goodness of God. A person who's walked in intimacy with God. A person who's known the nearness of God in their life, and now they've drifted far away. I believe that's the most miserable person. You know a good example of that is David when he got into sin with Bathsheba. David was very bitter. David was a very bitter person, miserable in his spirit. If you want to know how miserable David was, he was a child of God, but he'd gotten into sin. You want to know how miserable he was? Read Psalm 51. Don't read it now because I'm preaching. But read it when you get home because Psalm 51, he talks about what he felt, what he felt in those days between his sin and his repentance. And you know what it was? Psalm 51, so clear, utter misery. When a believer is in bondage, there's no joy unspeakable and full of glory. And I got to tell you, that's a blessing from God. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. What is true joy? What is true joy? Let's define joy. Let's define joy first by talking about what it's not. Joy is not necessarily laughter. Now, I love to laugh, but I know that just because a person's laughing doesn't mean they have joy. As a matter of fact, some people laugh to cover up their misery. The Bible uh, really talks about that. It's not going to be up on the screen, but if you're taking notes, write this scripture down. Ecclesiastes, and I know you're going, thanks. I'll never be able to spell that one. Ecclesiastes 7, 6. Who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, students? Solomon. Ecclesiastes 7, 6 describes this kind of laughter that covers up the fact that a person has no joy. He says a fool's laughter is quickly gone. A fool's laughter is quickly gone like thorns crackling in a fire. Another thing that joy is not, and this may surprise you, but joy is a happiness. Joy is not happiness. Happiness, you know, we got a hurricane off the coast, and 
if you were there and you were looking at the water, the surface of the water would be churning. That's like happiness. Uh, happiness is like the surface of the sea. It responds to the way the wind is blowing, but down deep would represent joy. We're all affected by circumstances, but see, happiness comes from the root word, what? Happen. It's based on what happens. Joy isn't based on what happens. Joy is based on a rock-solid relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what joy is based on. Happiness is like the thermometer that tells you the temperature in the room. Joy is like the thermostat that sets the temperature in the room. I've got to admit to you, when joy and happiness get together, I like it. Don't you? I like it. But most of the time, joy and happiness aren't there at the same time. When there's no happiness because of the storms of life, that's when you as Christians ought to thank God for the joy that is in you. And it may not make the pain go away, but I tell you what joy does, it makes it bearable. It makes it so you can get through that time. Let me give you a third thing. Joy is not, it is not success. You know how I know that? Because when I am being an awesome husband, man of God, at the grocery store, can I tell you all, I am not too good to go to the grocery store because Millie don't get the stuff I like. So, <laughs> so when I'm up there at the checkout counter, all I got to do to know that success doesn't make you happy is look at those magazines. Amen? Tom Cruise has got it all. That's one unhappy dude. I've often been compared to Tom Cruise. <laughs> so none of my other jokes were that funny, but that one y'all really thought was funny. <laughs> Thanks. But isn't it amazing, truly? Hollywood, supposed to be the most successful people in the world. And you hear constant reports of misery. Because things don't give you joy. Things may make you happy for a little while, as a matter of fact, the Bible even talks about the pleasure of sin for a season. Now, the other day I saw Big Macs were two for four dollars. But that's for a limited time. So I have a bunch in the freezer. But listen. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say sin doesn't bring pleasure but it says the pleasure is short-lived it's short-lived it doesn't last very long one writer said that the definition of failure is succeeding at the wrong thing what is joy then pastor here's here's a definition of joy that i love joy is the ecstasy of the soul that can only come from peace with god isn't that good? The ecstasy of the soul that can only come from peace with God. I love this little saying. Joy is the flag that is flown from the castle of the heart when King Jesus is on the throne. That's worth remembering right there. See, if King Jesus is on his rightful place, on his throne in your life, joy is going to be waving out of your life. So when your joy flag is down... We know that you're far away from the king. 
See, if you're not walking in intimacy with God, you need to understand something. He, leaves you, he loves you too much. He loves you too much to allow you to go on with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That may be hard for you to hear this, but as a child of God, you will lose your song sometimes. You will lose your joy when you have drifted away from Him, and it is God who will engineer your misery to bring you back to Him. I'm preaching now. Now, a lot of people don't like that kind of preaching because they want God to be the big Santa Claus God up in the sky, and all he does is, is just give you all the things you want. Let me tell you what else he'll give you. If you get away from him, he'll give you some misery because he wants you to what? Return. Return to him. He wants you to come back to him. Go with me as we close here to Jeremiah 25, and let me just show you something. I want to show you that before, <laughs> excuse me, that before the children of Israel were taken captive, a prophet told them this was going to happen. The prophet Jeremiah told them, he said, if you guys don't get it together, you're going to be taken captive. He's prophesying because of their rebellion. He's telling them, you're going to be carried away. Now, Jeremiah was one of those preachers that um, told it like it was. And uh, he was despised by those who heard him. As a matter of fact, I love Jeremiah because it says in the book of Jeremiah that he got so discouraged about his congregation, he looked into becoming a motel owner. He did. He said, I'm going to quit preaching and open up a house of lodging. Bless his heart, I know how he feels. I've got up on Monday morning many times and wondered if Walmart was taking applications. Amen. <laughs> Look what it says. It says, now, now he's a prophet, so he's really speaking for God. This is God talking. It says to the children of Israel, Jeremiah 25, beginning with verse 8, you refuse, this is God talking, you refuse to listen to me. Is God talking to you and you won't listen? Is God talking to you and you won't listen? Is God leading you to do something and you won't do it? Is God calling you to something and you're saying, no, there's a better time, there's, a, there's another thing I want to do? Look what he says. He says, you refuse to listen to me and now I will let you be attacked by nations from the north and especially, and, uh, especially by my, look what he calls Nebuchadnezzar. He calls Nebuchadnezzar my what? Now that doesn't mean Nebuchadnezzar served him in the sense of bowing before him. It means he used Nebuchadnezzar. He used him. Do you understand God will use the ungodly to make us miserable so we'll come back to God? I know I didn't expect to get a lot of amens right there, but it's good preaching. He says, I'm going to let King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylonia, excuse me, come in. Now, he's a pagan king, but I'm going to use him. He says, I want you to know that you and other nearby nations, he's talking to Israel here, he says, and I want you to think about America. I want you to think about America here this morning. You and other nearby nations will be destroyed and left in ruins forever. Everyone who sees what has happened will be shocked, but they will still mock you. They will still make fun of you. Now, I want you to go back, guys. If you can go back to the slide that's got verse 8 on it. 
Look what it says again there in verse 8. You, everybody read that with me. You refuse to listen to me. Now go back to the slide we were on. Because you refuse to listen to me, you are going to be attacked. You're going to be left in ruins. Everyone's going to see what's happened to you, and you're going to be, they're going to be shocked, and they're going to mock you. And look at verse 10 now. Boy, this sounds like America. This sounds like God talking to America, doesn't it? I will put an end to your, y'all see it? I think, yeah, I will put an end to your, say it, parties. I will put an end to your parties and wedding celebrations. No one will grind grain or be here to light the lamps at night. This country will be as empty as a desert. Look at that. Because God says, I will. Don't blame this on Nebuchadnezzar, he says. Don't blame this on the devil. I will make all of you the slaves of the king of Babylon for 70 years. Now here's what you've got to understand about God. And if you don't understand this about God, you're going to be confused all your life as a Christian. Ladies and gentlemen, what God is allowing the children of Israel to go, right, go through is an act of his love. What he is allowing them to go through is an act of his mercy. The worst thing God could do when we get away from him is let us maintain our joy. We wouldn't think we needed to come back. We wouldn't think that we had a need. But he allows us to be taken captive because he loves us, because he's merciful to us, he's kind to us, he's full of grace. This was a gift from God to, to this nation of Israel. I heard a story one time about a wayward uh, these wayward family members, they, they had been involved in their church and very active. But they had all lost interest in the church, lost interest in God, lost interest in the Bible and prayer, and they had fallen away from God. And the pastor and other leaders of the church had gone to see them and talked to them and tried to encourage the father and his sons, Jim and John and Sam, about their spiritual condition, tried to get them back in the church and back serving God. But every attempt had failed. One day, while the boys were out in the field working, a large rattlesnake bit one of the boys, bit John. John became very ill. A doctor was called, and after an examination of John, he pronounced him to be in critical condition. And the doctor said, about all you can do now is pray. The doctor said, I've done all I can do. I can't help John anymore. About all you can do now is pray. And he left and went on his way. Who do you think the father called? Pastor. He called the pastor and told him of John's condition. And the pastor came, and this is what the pastor prayed. O wise and righteous Father, we thank thee that in thy wisdom thou hast sent a rattlesnake to bite John in order to bring him to his senses. I don't know what the other ones were doing while he was praying, but i got to think they looked up right then to see if the pastor was all right. The pastor went on in his prayer. He said, Oh, John hadn't been inside the church house for years, Lord, and it's doubtful that in all these time that he's been away from the church, he's ever felt the need for prayer. And it is our prayer that this will be a valuable lesson to John, and it will lead John back to genuine repentance. But the pastor wasn't through praying. He said, And now, O oh, Father, we pray that thou would have sent a snake to bite Sam. And one to bite Jim. And Lord, we ask you to send a great old big one to bite the old man. 
He said, for years, Lord, we've been trying to do everything we can, and all of our combined efforts together could not restore them. It was to no avail. It seems that everything we did couldn't do what this one little rattlesnake did with one little bite. Thus, we conclude that the only thing this family needs that'll do them any good is more rattlesnakes. So, Lord, send us bigger and better rattlesnakes. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Let me tell you something this morning. If I get away from God, I hope he'll do whatever he's got to do to get me back. You say, oh, pastor, we got guests today, and we got people here today for the first Sunday. You don't preach a sermon like this? Absolutely. I want to tell you something. God wants you to be full of joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. And the way you tell when you have strayed away from God is when your joy level is down here when it used to be way up here. And whatever it takes for God to get me back in a position where my joy level can rise to be a testimony. See, your joy is a testimony. I've told you all before, we're going to advertise and we're going to do all the things that a church does to let people know we're here. But your joy is the best advertisement for this church. God had given the children of Israel a law and a land and a Lord. He had even sent prophets, didn't he? Jeremiah to preach the truth straight up. But they defied the law and defiled the land and denied the Lord. So God sent a rattlesnake called Nebuchadnezzar to get their attention. And we're going to see over the next few weeks how this brought them back to God. Let me remind you as I pray. Let me remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that the most miserable person in the world is not a lost person. The most miserable person in the world is a Christian who's gotten out of fellowship with God. Here's what I want to ask you to do this morning. I want to ask everybody to stand. I want to ask everybody to stand. And we're going to pray. As a matter of fact, what I'd like for you to do, let's go ahead and break this altar in. Come on up. Everybody come on up. And let's go ahead and... And, and show God that we're going to use this altar. This altar is a place we're going to use in this church. So we hope you'll come this morning and let's spend some time in prayer right before we go home. You might say, Pastor, I'm all right. I, I've got my joy. I'm good to go. Yeah, but what you want to do, if that's the case, is say, Lord, Lord, help me to always evaluate my joy level. Because where I am in my joy shows where I am in my relationship with you. Father, I pray over this church. We thank you for this beautiful building you've given us. We are amazed. I, I feel like I'm dreaming this morning. We are amazed, God, at what you've provided for us. But Lord, this building won't give us joy. This building may give us a little happiness, but our joy comes from our King. Our joy comes from our King. If there's somebody here today, Lord, who has strayed away from you, if there is somebody here today who has never known you, we pray that before they go home, that they'll come to know you. And we pray that before they leave, that they'll pick up one of our free packets that'll give them a Bible and some other good information to help them grow and mature in their walk with you. Church, listen. Listen. 
listen to me, it's time to repent. Let's repent as a church today. And let's, let's come before God today and say, God, forgive me for straying away. Forgive me for allowing myself to be taken captive by the world. Forgive me for allowing myself to be taken captive by my flesh, by the, by the temptations of Satan. Lord, I'm coming home like the prodigal son. I'm coming home. I want my joy back. Let's worship God together this morning.